Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. You already know that because this is where the best run. This is season seven. We're in 2021. Woohoo. And a thank you to longtime sponsor of this series. Used to be changing the game with digital selling, digital social selling, and now it's digital engagement. It's Kirsten Boyleau at SAP in Canada. So Kirsten, thank you so much for renewing for 2021. And here we are with three very interesting guests. Let me tell you what the topic is, and then I'll have my panel introduce themselves. So I have a quote. Here's my buzz quote from getfeedback.com, interesting source. And here's the quote, great customer experience. Yes, that's our topic is a major competitive advantage that drives new sales. And it's predicted that it will overtake price and product as the primary brand differentiator for B2B sales by 2020. Well, obviously that's passed. 33% of customers will consider switching brands after just one poor experience. Now, that may be B2C, but think about it in terms of B2B is still with people and people have B2B and B2B, B2C experiences. So let's talk a little bit. The customer journey. Now it's mostly online. Rarely is a salesperson involved. They're doing it 90%. Some people say themselves, you do your research, you go out, you look at competitive pricing, you look at whatever you want to do. You don't need anybody to do that. It's become a major puzzle for marketers to analyze. From brand awareness to customer advocacy, each customer's experience is unique, which compounds the challenge. Who are they? Where are they coming from? What do they want? How much time do they have? How savvy are they on their search? What's your job, your role as a marketer? You have to build each step of all of your touch points, whatever the route the prospect takes on the way to becoming a customer or the customer in terms of rebuying toward the goal of a sale. Here are the questions on the table. Who is responsible for the customer experience? The old conundrum, are we siloed marketing, sales, customer success, or all of them responsible? How do you divide that pie? And in 2021, where we are already mid-February, how is the customer journey map further evolving? Because it is. And how is it impacting what's now a key topic on everybody's minds? customer experience. We have Tribal Impact's Vanessa Baker. Vanessa, you can wave for the, the video here. We have e-consultancy's Stefan Tornquist. Welcome. And we have SAP's Nikki Elsner. Welcome, Nikki, for their take on the era of your customer. Who's minding the store? Meaning the journey and the experience. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. The reason I said a special welcome to Nikki and Stefan is that they are first timers here. Vanessa has been on several shows with me and welcome back, Vanessa Baker. So let's kick this party off. Vanessa Baker, would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself and think about this, Vanessa. There might be 3.4 people in the world who don't remember who you are. Shame on them. Why don't you talk to them and remind them what you do and what tribal impact is. And also, Vanessa, just a little tiny bit about what's your take on this topic. Just a little overview, your passion for the topic. Vanessa, welcome. 
Thank you very much, Bonnie. Delighted to be here. I'm Vanessa Baker. As Bonnie said, I work for an agency called Tribal Impact. We focus on helping our customers enhance their digital presence by using social media, activation, employee advocacy, social selling, digital leadership, and influencer activation programs. So we're all about helping organizations develop a digital inbound approach. And my particular role, I focus on the growth part of it, mainly talking with tech vendors and their partners to understand what their business objectives are and how we can help them become digitally inbound through the right initiatives, which will ultimately attract more people towards their brand. Um, and in a nutshell, what my passion is for this topic of how do we engage people digitally? How do we provide a superior customer experience? It is all about attracting them towards you. We have to put our traditional marketing to one side. We've got to stop thinking about pushing products and solutions out and think about engaging digitally and drawing them towards us, towards them. And we've got to think as we do ourselves as consumers and replicate that in the B2B. And that's my little overview for you, Bonnie. Thank you, Vanessa. Quick question. How did you get to Tribal Impact? What was your journey in terms of jobs and roles? Where'd you come from? I come from the corporate side, from Storage Tech and Hitachi, and Hitachi is where I met Tribal's founder and CEO, Sarah Goodall. We worked together in EMEA Marketing, and then she set up Tribal. So it's been a long journey together, and it's been, been here for like five years now, and it's great to be on the other side and help these corporate organizations and their partners. Thank you very much, Vanessa. Very interesting about your background. You do meet interesting people along the way and opportunities are created. The brainstorming, the ideation, they call it now. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Welcome back. Stefan Tornquist, you're up next. Please introduce yourself to our global listening audience. They'd love to know who you are, a little bit about how you got to where you are and what's your take. Stefan. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so what I do every day is conduct research about uh, whether it's technology, how technology is affecting people, how people are affecting uh, technology. Um, I do that for eConsultancy, which is a 20-year-old uh, sort of marketing excellence brand, whether it's events or our learning platform uh, that I work on um, or, or simply what we publish, which is daily, uh, daily best practice as well as uh, some of the research and, uh, and, and deeper uh, how-to information. So we've, we've evolved along with, with digital, but digital still remains kind of at the, at the center of our approach. Um, so I, I'm passionate about the customer experience because it made my job a lot more interesting. Mm. Uh, you know, for the first, I came out of a, a startup background um, bounced around in the way that we do in, in digital and found myself uh, writing about it more and more uh, and ran research for a company called Marketing Experiments, Marketing Sherpa, and then eConsultancy. And as time went on, it got more and more interesting to write about marketing because marketing was touching more parts of the organization. Marketing was part of strategy. And it was all because we were forced by digital to, to follow the customer's lead. I mean, it's a gross oversimplification, but as power shifted from the brand to the customer, it got a lot more interesting to write about marketing. I haven't heard anybody put it quite that way, Stefan. Thank you. It's, <laughs> there's a, a positive spin on, on when I introduced it. I said there's, there are challenges and how do they analyze this? And you're saying it's more interesting. You mentioned that you were writing about it in research. Where Were you writing a, a blog or a white, what we used to call white paper, Stefan? Well, generally, I've, I've written for, the, for my employers, for these publishers. And, you know, I've, I've gotten into the press here and there. 
Um, but by and large, I do research for whether it's Google, Adobe, and whatnot on one side, but then I do research for our subscribers on the other. Sometimes that research overlaps and complements itself. Sometimes there are tensions. Very interesting. Thank you, and thanks for the introduction. Nikki Elsner has been waiting patiently. I said that to a third <laughs> panelist about a year ago, and when I got to, it was a, a man, I got to the gentleman, I said, Bob, introduce yourself. Just, How do you know I'm patient? I've been sitting here, I thought you would forget. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Nikki Elsner, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us, and please do me the honor of introducing yourself, and what's your take? Go ahead, Nikki. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm Nikki Elsner. I'm working at SAP, one of the sponsors also here. Um, my background is in uh, computer science and business administration, and I worked for SAP since more than 25 years. I always took an outside-in approach into SAP in my career, and that's what I'm really passionate about it. I started off in market intelligence and then moved over and um, became a user experience expert and strategist. So that means my role is to look outside in into SAP, observe our customers and on both levels. I do testing on how do they interact with our digital channels, for example, but also how do they, um, how do they, um, interact in general with the market and what their expectations are in general. So it's partwise even blind studies that we do with a research agency together all over the world to see what are their expectations when it comes to software purchase, buying. And um, it's really fascinating to bring that back to SAP and see where we can take that, where's our take, because it's always a mixture of who are you as a company, mm -hmm. as well as what customers are expecting. And I also got the privilege and the opportunity to look a little bit further ahead. So what are the new generations? They grow up, mm -hmm. they're digital natives, as we call them. Mm -hmm. So what, what drives their awareness, we say, you know, to, they have a shorter attention span. They are so multi-channel. They are in so many apps at the same time. So how do you grab their attention? What makes them loyal? All of those things. I also get a sneak peek into that to make sure we're addressing that and taking that into consideration. And as you can hear from my voice, that's what I'm really passionate about. I can tell. I love that. Interesting, the studies. Are you using a lot of, uh, I'll call it listening with a capital L, Nikki, on social media in terms of finding out what people want, where they're going, what they're looking for? Is it? Is it? In other words, I, my understanding from working on the show for so many years is that you want to establish a relationship with people and you want to know what's on their mind, not just what are they going to buy, what can you mm -hmm. sell them and how fast can you upsell them, but are you using the, the channels of social media as part of your research? Uh, we do that for sure, mm -hmm. um, but we also have an entire teams that do that on it, not just for research purposes, but also because think about it, what it is, is it's real time feedback. Mm -hmm. from users, from customers, from potential customers. So you always have to be on top of the game. And it's also fascinating because on the one hand, we have the GDPR side where everything is so much more restricted, what you can use and allow to collect. On the other hand, people have never been more open about what mm -hmm. they like to eat, where they go on vacation, yep. if they have a family. So maybe 
the CRM of the future is out there in the worldwide net anyway. The question is, how can you use that? And I mean, not in a mean way, but yeah. to understand and and learn about them and have the empathy mm-hmm. to really mm-hmm. be on point and be helpful for whatever context they are in right now. Thank you. And that brings up the old question, is there anything left to privacy? I want privacy. Well, how much information do you already give out on how many channels, to how many people, how many Facebook posts, how many pictures of your family, where you live, what you drive, where you eat, where you go? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Nikki. Thank you to the three of you. Now we're going to move to the, pre- not the predictions, that's another show, to the quote part of the show. And my panelists have very graciously selected movies, songs, TV shows, and picked a quote that has on its surface absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I'm going to ask them to relate it to our topic in their own words. Vanessa Baker is up first and she has picked a six word quote. We love the short ones, by the way, Vanessa. I'm short. I'm joking. And the quote is from Obi-Wan Kenobi, Star Wars epic space opera film from 1977 by George Lucas. And it was originally played by, let's see, uh, played by in the Star Wars franchise, I'm trying, uh, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness, yes, the Master Jedi portrayed by Alec Guinness. And uh, there were other younger versions of him and other versions of, of the movie. It's a whole franchise. It's a whole universe, TV and everything. It's pop culture phenomenon. Obi-Wan Kenobi, a.k.a. Ben Kenobi, is a character in the original trilogy. He's a Jedi master. There we go. His performance as in the original Star Wars, 1977, I saw that movie, earned an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. This was the only acting nomination for a Star Wars film, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. And yet it is one of the highest grossing. In 2020, the total value of the Star Wars franchise was estimated at $70 billion with a B dollars. It's the fifth highest grossing media franchise of all time. And everybody knows this quote, and I'm going to say it, and Vanessa's going to explain what has to do with our topic. <laughs> May the force be with you. Vanessa, I love this. <laughs> Haven't had it on the show yet. Talk to me. How'd you pick this? It's probably my favorite quote, and I find myself using it for personal, encouraging friends, but, you know, and also think about thinking about and how do we go about uh, tackling certain business projects or digitally engaging our customers. We have to be bold. We have to be, um, you know, stand up for what we believe in. And I just think it's a lovely positive statement that you can apply to practically any situation. So as we strive to achieve a superior customer experience, may the force be with you. So, I don't have an awful lot to say on it, apart from it's a really <laughs> affirmative statement. Um, and I just think it's, it's fantastic and one that my kids will start using. And I like short statements because I myself am very short at five feet, nothing. So I'm with you there, Bonnie. I think I used to be five, one and a half, Vanessa. We'll just leave that <laughs> used to be. Was, <laughs> I'm not sure where I am now. I, I stopped the height measurement. I have plans taller yeah. than me. No, that's not true. Maybe yeah. it is. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to go out of the limb a little bit here, Vanessa, and say, may the force be with you, thinking of what Nikki just shared about her studies of, of intention and empathy and where customers and prospects want to go and what they need and, and how to relate to them and, and what their intentions are. I said that already. Uh, may the force be with you. There are so many forces of investigation, right, Nikki, today? And right, Vanessa, mm-hmm. there's so many places you can yeah. go to look for this information. So I would say may the force 
of social relationships yeah. with the marketer. Ooh, maybe we could coin that one. Okay, so I'm going to move on. Thank you. Stefan has selected a quote from a very interesting movie. This was from the Grand Budapest Hotel, a 2014 comedy drama. The cast was headed by Ralph Fiennes, F-I-E-N-N-E-S, in case you're wondering. It was a 17-actor ensemble cast about a concierge in a hotel who teams up with one of his employees to prove his innocence after he is framed for the murder of a wealthy dowager played by Tilda Swinton. And here is the quote. And the character is Monsieur Gustave H. H period. Okay, here's the quote. Rudeness is merely the expression of fear. People fear they won't get what they want. The most dreadful and unattractive person only needs to be loved and they will open up like a flower. I hope I did that okay, Stefan. Yeah, right. I, I don't remember how it was said in the movie. Stefan, help me out here. How do you pick this quote? <laughs> so I, 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 this quote captured something that I was using when I drove in New York. So there was a period where I was driving my daughter to school every morning and I was just furious all the time. <laughs> and, and, I was, and I started to use this sort of trick of, of imagining what people had gone through in their mornings or their afternoons and why they were behaving the way they were behaving to try to empathize with their, with their driving. And when I heard that quote, it sort of captured, uh, it captured that notion that most of the time, like the easiest emotions for us to feel are, are fear and that drives a lot of people towards anger. And, and the way that quote talks about it actually jives pretty well with the, with the question of, uh, of customer journey, customer experience. You know, you think about an airport when flights are getting canceled. People instantly get angry. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, they understand at some intellectual level that planes aren't going to fly. It's not the person in front of them uh, whose, whose fault it is. But they're desperately afraid of something. Not getting home for that birthday. Not finding a hotel room. Sleeping on that bench over there. And the, the smallest kindness and understanding where they're coming from and, uh, you know, and giving them some reason to know where they're going to end up will immediately diffuse that anger. And I think the, in the digital customer journey, as we'll talk about, it's much harder to get those signals. Thank you. I have to ask you, you, you dropped a, a key something on me driving in New York. May I ask where you were? Uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, I live uh, I live in uh, parks well, near Park Slope in Brooklyn, and so I'd have to drive 20 minutes back and forth to drop off my daughter for a while, and it would like added 20 years to my age. <laughs> Douglaston, <laughs> Douglaston girl grew up Bayside High School. Oh Sarah, wow! Yeah. Sarah Lawrence College lived all over the country after that. Very very interesting. Uh, I just spent I moved here to Durham three and a half years ago, but I was in Great Neck. For the past 32 years before that, and don't don't do the calculation on the number of years, please. Thank you. I, when you say New York and driving, I know about the LIE certainly, and it's a delight. Yes, for those of you, Vanessa and Nikki, don't know about the Long Island Expressway. It's considered the world's longest parking lot because at rush hour, you inch along and you wait for traffic to go somewhere. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much, Stefan, and a little bit for the memories. I appreciate that, Nikki Elster. I'm looking at your quote here, and it is first time. 
an Emma Thompson movie quote has been on the show. Nanny McPhee, anybody looking it up, N-A-N-N-Y, Nanny, M-C-P-H-E-E, Nanny McPhee, a 2005 comedy fantasy film based on the character in Christiana Brand's Nurse Matilda book set in Victorian England, stars Emma Thompson as Nanny along with Colin Firth and Angela Lansbury. She's a, a classic. Emma Thompson scripted the film based on the book and there was a sequel launched and released in 2010. Okay, here we go. Here's the quote from Nanny McPhee. When you need me, but do not want me, then I must stay. When you want me, but no longer need me, then I have to go. Ooh, I'm getting chills on this one, Nikki. <laughs> Help me out here. This is great. Where, where'd you, how did you find this quote and how does it relate to our topic? Nikki Elsner. Okay, so obviously I watched the film and I was totally fascinating by all of it. The story, the acting, all of this. Um, what made me choose this quote is because that's how I feel when it comes to my job, when it comes to user experience, because I'm here to help and give some pointers and bring back the feedback of the user. But ideally, we would be all user experience experts in the company. It shouldn't be an organization or a department. Granted, for some future thinking, looking forward research, you have to have a dedicated team on hand, like also Stefan does with his clients. That's not going away. But the true sense of customer centricity means everyone needs to have it in them and have that mind shift going on. So that means I'm, I'm here to teach them as best as I can, and hopefully they feel confident enough and have their antennas up by some time, and then they can do it, and then it's my time to move on to another project, another area, another, yeah, evolving topic that's coming up when it comes to user research. I also think this is very true when it comes to change management, which is a big mm -hmm. buzzword since yes. many, many years, but that's what it is. If we also, we go through a transformation, every business. So also all of us need to be more customer centric and it's more than a buzzword and that change is hard, it's always hard. So it felt the same way as with the kids when Emma Thompson was coming in, they didn't want to follow any of her rules. They, they hated her, they didn't understand why this is important and they were really stubborn, but the more and more they learned and applied to the rules, the more they also appreciated and loved it. And um, then she had to go at some time. I don't want to spoil the whole film, but um, so that's why I think that is the key essence of change management, because it's very human to first react to it negatively and say, no, we're doing a good job. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm appreciated. I know what I'm doing. I know how it maps to our goals and um, we are a successful company. So we have a good track record, you know, why should I change? And I think change is coming faster and faster these days anyway. So that's how I think it related on both levels, me in my job and my role and customer centricity, as well as the general notion of change management. 
Thank you. You got a lot in there, Nikki, and I, I agree with everything you said. And by the way, I didn't give the full plot of the movie, but just let me back into that just a second, Vanessa, before I get to your first discussion statement. In Victorian England, widowed undertaker Cedric Brown, or Cedric, is the father of seven, seven unruly children since the death of his wife. He cannot handle them. They're running through nannies like like pouring water here. They have pranks, they have bad behavior, and he finds people are referring to Nanny McPhee, Nanny McPhee. So he hires her and here they are. And she's a hideous woman. And the more they listen to her, the less hideous she becomes. I have to find that film, Nikki. It sounds very, very, very interesting. I can't imagine Emma Thompson playing anybody hideous, but that's the movies. So thank you very much. Now we're at the part of the show where we're in the serious round table. My panelists have sent me four statements each and their take on the topic. I'm going to start with a statement number two from Vanessa because we've already covered empathy, which is in her statement number one. And uh, Vanessa has agreed to this. I'm going to read a little bit. It's a packed statement. Ask her to expand it, unpack it, tell us more. And then the magic sauce. Stefan Turnquist, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Vanessa. And then Nikki, I'll ask you to follow up and agree or disagree with either or both of them. You have a lot of work cut out for you. And then if we have time, I'll ask Vanessa to comment back to the both of you. Otherwise, I will go, Stefan, I'll pick one of your topics and tell you in the chat where I'm going. And you'll agree or say no and tell me which other statement you want me to pick. And we'll go around the table and then I'll have one from Nikki and we're going to cover a lot of ground. So Vanessa Baker said the following. Everyone knows that acquiring new customers is substantially more expensive than retaining existing ones on so many levels. Recent statistics show a 5% increase in customer retention and attention can usually increase profits by between 25 to 95%. I'm going to stop there. Vanessa, please tell us the rest and tell us what it means. Well, unpacking that a bit, bit, I think... um, it's all about how can we provide what we the term we've heard so much as a frictionless experience. And again, I always refer to what's our experience as consumers. And basically, we know what switches us off very quickly from a brand. And we need to put ourselves thinking the way our B2B customers do. So we have to do everything we can and remove anything which could prevent our customers from having that smooth journey. So at each time when a customer connects with any aspect of our brand, it could be marketing content, social media, customer support, any single aspect, we have to provide a positive experience and then therefore reduce the likelihood of that customer switching. So, and I think here is really good to think about HubSpots. They introduced the flywheel last year to replace the traditional sales funnel where at the end of the sales funnel, typically the deal, the customer signs on the line, the deal is done, and then that's seen as a success. But now we have to focus just as much attention on what happens to the customer journey from the moment they sign on that line. And we need to retain them and nurture them as loyal customers who could potentially become our brand advocates, which as we know, is the most powerful marketing tool And then we have to think about, well, where throughout our journey that our brand offers are the potential sources of friction? And I know as a consumer, there could be in many, many places. Um, Is there the content as I need when I'm going through the awareness process? Is customer support actually responding to me? How many times have I had to repeat my same challenge and pain point to different people within the organization, which is a prime reason for me to switch off? And then from a B2B point of view, we need to think about, are we targeting the best fit customers for our products and solutions? And equally, 
Are we providing a clear roadmap for our customers so that it's not just a one-hit wonder sale? We want them to think about partnering with us on a long-term basis so they can grow and scale their business and we can grow with them. Um, so I think overall, of course, we're needing to be asking for their feedback on a very regular basis and acting upon it. And absolutely, it's a customer-first approach across the organization. And I think the key thing is we should all be responsible and we have to avoid complacency as they can switch just like that today. Just like that. Absolutely right. Stefan Tornquist, ready for you, agree or disagree, and regardless of which side you take or even something in the middle, give me a couple minutes of your thought leadership. Go ahead, Stefan. Sure. Well, I mean, it's hard to disagree with uh, the importance of customer retention. Um, especially in a year when so many companies found themselves depending on a, a few stalwart existing customers. Uh, I mean, whenever I hear customer retention, I do get slightly cynical because for since I started running surveys of business leaders, they have been promising to spend more time and attention on customer retention and, and not doing it. Mm -hmm. Part of that's, I think, structural. You know, as long as you have uh, a sales team that is incented in the way sales teams are incented and paid in the way they're paid and focused on the, the top of the flywheel, um, you're, go you're going to have a, you know, some tension uh, within the organization. But that's one of, the, uh, one of the benefits of a focus on customer experience is that it's almost a cheat code into retention. Because as Vanessa says, you know, the, the, the money you spend um, on, on experience, on frictionless, you know, uh, an empathic experience uh, ends up with more customers. What a lot of people are beginning to realize as well is that there is a customer experience effect on the top of the funnel. I've just run studies in media and entertainment and uh, travel and one other, um, and even in those and in all of those sectors, the the imp impact of customer experience on new customers is is steadily growing. Uh, so the you know, at some point, we'll have this holistic view. Some digital native companies kind of are born with it. It's really hard to get over those structural uh, boundaries as long as we've got different incentives within the organization. Thank you. Very interesting, Stefan. Nikki, love to get your POV. You've got two people to talk to. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree, of course, because um, that's what I hear all along as well. But I think I'm looking at it, I'm trying to stay very true to the customer here and say it's not about if the business has the, the retention and it costs less. I know that's important for us, but what makes people churn is really the key point. And this is if they are not satisfied with the experience they have. At the end of the day, there is a job to be done, right? That you, that you wanna get in our example out of that software and the services surrounding it. And if you don't get the, that benefit and that business outcome, you might want to churn, you know, because you're not getting out of this what you need in order to achieve your goals. And that is really the biggest of all issues. And that's where you have to get into and really unpack it and see what you can do. I totally have to agree with Stefan that reputation and what others 
say about your software and how helpful it was is really the key marketing driver and getting there more and more. We were talking about social listening with a big L, you know, that's exactly, this is your best marketing that you can have. But if they don't get the outcome out of the software, they might look elsewhere. It's not because they hate the company or whatever, or really one bad experience, Mm -hmm. but bottom line is they're not getting what they hope to get out of it. And, and therefore they look elsewhere and competition is getting fears and they have a right to do so. So we really have to look into what happens after the classical marketing and the sale is done. When I, funny story, when I went into from market intelligence, my looking at the market overall, all the vendors, it's also at the end of the day, uh, user feedback that you have, but more on an aggregated level. When I moved into, at that point in time, it was called total customer experience. I was asking my boss, so what is this about and how is it different? And he's like, the, the major thing is think of that. If you buy a car, everyone's really nice to you when you walk into that show floor and you're willing to to drop, I don't know, $40,000 on a car. The real question is, how are you treated when you got your car and after three weeks, the indicator light makes a funny noise? How are you treated then going back into that store? This is where the true differentiator and the real total customer experience begins. And let me say that right off the bat, marketing has a role to play in that as well. It's not like they're just in front of the buying and no longer afterwards. So that's why I think um, you have to look, as also Vanessa said, what are those moments that make people churn and start from there? And then the rest will come back into play because it's a cycle. Thank you, Nikki. Very insightful. Vanessa, you sparked quite a conversation here. Anything you want to say back to your co-panelist, Vanessa Baker? Uh, Well, it would be very difficult to to disagree with that. I think we all got our various insights on that. And I think think just that the sales and marketing alignment is the discussion which I hear so many, many times. And and, you know, they've got to work together and break down those silos. And, and it's like a game of ping pong where sales should be feeding back the customer challenges and pain points to marketing. So marketing can create the content which will equip the salespeople. So, so yes, completely agree with both your comments. Thank you both. Thank you, Vanessa. I'm moving on to a statement Stefan has sent me, and I've checked with him, and he says it's good. It goes back to what actually a perfect segue, Stefan, from what Vanessa just finished her comments with and to one of my statements in the opening monologue about who owns customer experience. Let me read a little bit. Stefan has some interesting statistics here. He says, in 2016, hard to believe that was five years ago, 80% of marketers thought their group would own, quote, unquote, customer experience. Stefan's impression is that marketing was losing ground at least until the pandemic. The digital leap gave marketing a boost. I'm going to stop there and let you expand this for us. Stefan, go ahead. Sure. Um, so the, 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 the premise originally, marketing sort of figured we're going to own the customer experience because we own the customer, especially the, the digital customer. We know that uh, that experience, that person, those audiences, better than any other part of the organization. So the customer experience comes to us. That is not how it's played out at most organizations. Uh, and granted, it's, it's kind of fractured. You know, if you define customer experience broadly, it includes everything. So 
uh, you know, no, no one group is going to, to own it. But I think the, the sort of defining role in, uh, in CX at many companies has not turned out to be the CMO, uh, but has in fact been the CIO, the, you know, somebody uh, or teams on the, the technology side with marketing contributing. And it's that contribution that we saw this year give marketing a boost in the strategic conversation. Like you typically don't get marketing in the boardroom, right? Uh, but this year, something like 75% of senior executives in marketing said that they had a greater role in their company strategy this year. Not hard to figure out why. Uh, so I th what I think the, the question is, maybe for the, for the rest of the panel is, if, well, first of all, do we all agree that it should be this sort of holistic cross-functional group that's got its incentives aligned so they're not competing with one another. So sales and marketing aren't uh, arguing so much, but are actually you know, doing, a, doing a handoff because they're getting paid off uh, the, the same uh, KPIs. Um, first of all, does everybody agree with that premise? And second of all, that's really, really hard for most organizations. You know, much easier if you sort of start from scratch and build around it. Um, I'd be very interested to know what the uh, Nikki and Vanessa have seen in terms of actually getting that to work. Actually, you know, we've got this really interesting moment in change management where everyone's terribly afraid of not changing in time. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if things have changed in the companies in the that uh, that you work with uh, and their openness to to a restructuring. Stefan, I think I can help you with that because we're going around the table now and Nikki Elster happens to be sitting virtually next to you. So Nikki, <laughs> you're up. Talk to Stefan, please. Sure. So first of all, I agree with your first statement. I, I see it exactly um, the same way. Um, when it comes to how do we see anything changing here, we, I see that slowly and also in our company. So first of all, we now just announced that um, we have a new board member and Julia Wyden, she will be responsible for marketing. So it's the first time really on that board level, it, it, it gets seen and having that seat at the table. I also think it's not as important. It's, it's the question who owns it is already the, the wrong question or it shows where things go wrong, where it's flawed. Mm -hmm. We also have a huge effort and undertaking um, of bringing all of our roles closer together and have joint KPIs together. And this, again, as you said it, it's really a big, huge change management effort and also enabling and training. Because this is, um, I know that we, for example, we, we often say, ooh, let's not boil the ocean. Let's not make a project too big because it's, it's, it's very daunting and it, you don't get your quick wins and your low-hanging fruits of all, in all of this. But some changes are big. You can try to, to parse them out and put them on a journey and a roadmap to make it not so overwhelming at once, but it's a change that needs to be done. And I see that also in our corporation, having um, the same KPIs, the joint KPIs, putting the customer at the center, really their outcomes, that's what we want to get measured by and feel also accountable mm -hmm. for it's and 
with business software, I think that should be a little bit easier done because we also know in our company, there's not just one single individual that can be accountable for one product. We have mm -hmm. many people working on products and developing products. So we are, we are used to having a shared accountability for something and feeling responsible for, for the outcome and the success. So, but that's all theory. In reality, it's a very hard and slow process. Thank you. The big A word just emerged, accountability. Vanessa Baker, <laughs> love to get your POV on this. Join us, chime in, please. Yes, well, rather boringly, I agree, agree, agree. So nothing controversial there. And then, but it's great, Nikki, to hear that you know a marketing person has made it onto the board. And I think you know it's so it's absolutely marketing needs to be aligned to the business objectives. We all need the same goals. And the days of how many leads of marketing generated and what's happened to those leads, you know, they have to end because. That those are properly the days of traditional silos. Marketing generated the leads, sales rejected them and just did their own thing. Um, uh, but what we have seen ourselves talking to clients, particularly this year, is that much more willingness from salespeople to adapt to perhaps building digital relationships, acquire the skills they need to really advance, deepen um, their linked work, LinkedIn networks learn what content and keyword they, they should be sharing. And to do that, they need to work in an aligned approach with marketing. So I think the pandemic has certainly accelerated for those more savvy clients the need to have an aligned approach. Um, and some statistics I found earlier said that LinkedIn research says that businesses with strong sales and marketing alignment are 67% more effective at closing mm -hmm. deals and 58% more effective at retaining customers. So whilst not directly the customer experience, you know, if that wasn't providing a superior customer experience, um, then those statistics wouldn't be there. So I think some clients are getting on board with it and it's, and it's great when it does work because it makes it a much more harmonious customer journey. Harmonious, I like that. On both sides, right? The people <laughs> delivering the experience and the people having the experience. Yeah. Stefan, this was your topic. I'll give you a minute or two to comment back to the ladies. What do you think? Well, thanks. Uh, thanks both. Um, I think the only thing I'd add for our, our listeners is, and, and you know, change management is just one of the things that I look at and very lightly, this is Nikki's, uh, Nikki's realm, but I, I've never seen a moment like this where I think we all know the, the various figures about digital transformation and how much more difficult it is to change sort of thinking and culture than it is to implement technology or even make a structural change. I've never seen a moment like this where instead of being afraid of change, people are so afraid of not changing. You know, to mm. you know, the salespeople desperate to build digital relationships and realizing they're they are not they'll they'll go back on the road, but not like not like they have. Um, and and that kind of change is manifest in all of our roles. And people are very concerned with being part of a company now that can that can match that uh, match the digital shift. And and it's a real opportunity. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it comes from fear and concern for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, you you, you use the lever you got. That's true. Different kind of stimulus there than we are used to. I appreciate all of you chiming in on Stefan's topic. Thank you, Stefan. And now we're moving to Nikki. Nikki, I'm picking your statement number four because this is something we haven't talked about yet. And I think it's very important. Nikki says, besides rational and emotional factors, 
B2B buyers are increasingly considering more non-product factors than ever. Corporate purpose, CSR, corporate social responsibility, sustainability. These are no longer nice to have criteria, but can sway a buying decision from one vendor to the next. And we talked about churn, that wonderful five-letter word that nobody wants to hear. Nikki, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Why don't you take us through this, unpack it, and then we'll see what Vanessa and Stefan have to say. Nikki? Sure. So, um, on over the years in the research, this came up more and more also with the people that we spoke to, especially when it came to younger generation. There's also, I think there's always a, a movement where certain topics pop up also in our research areas and so on. There's this book about the, the just cause, for example, that was launched. You see more companies being more bold about their statements, what their just cause is. For example, Patagonia had that big um, New York Times um, advertisement that a lot of people might know about where they had one of their jackets and they say, don't buy this jacket, even though it's their jacket, don't buy it. We're still working on making it more uh, sustainably sourced and so on. Mm. We're working on that effort, which was very um, disruptive and change petterish at that time. And so I think a lot of people are looking into this and um, especially because the competition is getting so tight. Let's say for example, for, for software, HR software, also the competition, the, ba the basic and the major functionality is not a differentiator, you know, everyone's offering the same. The question is, what is a key differentiator? And it's not just uh, also in services and the support that you get, it's all getting closer together. There's a certain level of maturity and best practices, what customers expect. So that means where, where do you differentiate? And um, price, of course, it's not going away, but we, I have seen a, ten, a, a tendency here and uh, that people also look for this bigger purpose, this how do they deal with, um, how, how, what is their positioning on um, diversification, on, on all those, um, the, the corporate social responsibilities and so on. And they want to say, hey, it's also my obligation to make sure to support um, the right businesses with the right beliefs and they, they give back to society and back to the economy. And this also comes back from, we spoke about it before, about um, more savvy customers and having a lot of experience from mm -hmm. B2C. That's a trend we see there since quite some time. Buying um, maybe not so much fast fashion, buying thrift stores totally come up again, be more uh, sustainable and more resourceful, uh, support local businesses, for example, in a global pandemic and so on and so forth. And I want to know from my fellow panelists if they have seen tracks like that as well. We're going to find out. Thank you, Nikki. Very interesting perspective. I was hoping somebody would bring that up, and you did. Vanessa Baker, you're sitting next to Nikki. Go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a brilliant um, topic to bring up, and very relative that you're talking about the younger generation who are much more, for example, concerned. Well, we're all concerned about the, the environment, but, <clears> you know, <throat> sustainability 
what were, were things ethically sourced, um, for example, that's very much on their agenda. And the pandemic has really accelerated all of that. And sort of consumerism has become a little bit of a dirty word. So I think particularly for the big corporates, it's very important for them to be, you know, demonstrating how they are supporting uh, a good cause. But I think it has to be handled in the right way, because I have seen some big corporates that it just looks like such a box ticking exercise and it takes the authenticity out of it. And I know it's a hard balance, but I think... Nikki, as you said, it can absolutely be the deciding factor and the differentiator. Even as a consumer choosing an energy supplier or a bank account, you can go for the for the ethical ones, the green ones. So I think all companies should be getting onto this bandwagon, but do it in the right way while steering clear of any slightly bizarre political persuasions. So is that to be considered as well, isn't it? Doing it in a neutral Switzerland style way, I think. Yeah, great, great comments, though, Nikki. Certainly is, Vanessa. You hit a hot potato there. We're not going to go there, but we understand. (laughs) Stefan, talk to me about what Nikki said and or what Vanessa shared. Go ahead, Stefan. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with anything, but I would I would suggest that brand purpose matters more for employees than for customers because they're they're one step removed. At least in B2C, most people can't tell you the brand purpose of their favorite brand. Only something like one in four can actually say like, oh, I love Apple and their brand purpose is to you know, own our brains. Um, the, so yes, it matters how you're perceived, but I think that comes through your employees. That the, the, We did a study and the, the brand purposes that really made a difference sort of truly qualified as it was both about their market, about their customer, but also the, the why, you know, why do we, why do we do what we do? Uh, so I think the, the channel to the customer is the employee and they're the ones who, to Vanessa's point, you know, those sort of empty, we've been here for, for 150 years and we care about you, but nobody believes that stuff. What they, what, they, what they sense is when employees believe in a brand purpose and manifest it in the experience. Um, and just quickly on sustainability, I think that the, the real requirements on supply chains and vendors and sourcing are, are coming fast. Like people are only starting to realize that e-commerce is the least sustainable way of buying anything. You know, when you put together a house through, you know, 20,000 individual Amazon orders, that's not very sustainable. And people are only starting to grasp it, but they, but the, like the big FMCG companies are really thinking about, wow, we, we don't want to get crushed by this concern. And I think that's going to affect supply chains and, and B2B buying in a profound way. Thank you very much, Nikki. I can briefly go back to you. I want to save 60 seconds each for predictions to wrap up. So Nikki, comments back to your co-panelists, please. Sure. Um, um, thank you, both of you, actually, that you brought in some new perspectives into my thinking, and this is what it is all about, because I haven't thought of the coming through through the employees as much, but I think you have a very big point here, and, and what you said, Vanessa, it's like, it shouldn't be a box ticking factor and this is when you write it maybe somewhere on a page or whatever it's like okay what is it but you really need to live and breathe and stand by it so that's really fascinating and I will do some chewing how we can make that happen at SAP that will be wonderful thank you 
Thank you very much. Good topic. Thank you, Nikki. Let's go around the table, starting with Vanessa Baker. I can give you, we got six minutes left till the end, so let's take 60 seconds each because I have some closing messages. So, Vanessa, predict either on the topic, on a sports team if you have a favorite, and nothing, and those are your your bandwidths. Go ahead, Vanessa. (laughs) No sports predictions, I'm afraid. Really boring. Um, On the topic, I think of quite hard for me to come up with something completely innovative apart from the fact that I think companies are going to realize increasingly that to to achieve a superior customer experience they are going to have to invest in automation and CRM platforms without which it's just not going to happen you know without that those insights we, we are not going to be able to offer a personalized digital customer experience so I think bit by bit companies are going to realize and start making far greater investments in that um and beyond that, no, that's all I have to predict for this year. So it'll be very interesting at the end to see. But thank you very much, Stefan and Nikki. It's been really interesting to hear your points of view about brand purpose and also about the whole change management thing as well. So it's good to get the whole big picture on the, on the, on the topic today. Thank you. Good topics, good speakers. Stefan, you are next. Predict, please. 60 seconds. What you got? All right. Um, Well, in about a year's time, uh, we are going to be in a a winter of discovery of just how hard hybrid work really is. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm an almost lifetime work from home person. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's an amazing shift that that even very traditional companies are making. I think it's great. But thinking about having distributed teams is just sort of an HR issue is an enormous mistake. It is a strategic capability or it's a deep weakness. And we need to think about it both in terms of how our customers, especially in B2B, how their their lives and therefore their customer journeys are changing. Uh, But we're going to be faced with a world where you've got young people and very senior people in the office and everybody in middle management is going to be home most of the time. And we're going to need to figure out how that's going to work. Interesting. Why do you say there'll be senior people in the office with the young people, Stefan? Young people actually like going into the office. They tend to be in the urban center. They want to go where other people are. are. Middle managers have families, obligations, so many errands, so many doctor's appointments, working from home and a place to get away and do the thought work is fantastic. Senior executives, they want to be there running things. That's why they became senior executives. And so you're going to have this very bifurcated in-office culture and trying to figure out how it's all going to work with Zoom and you know, creative collaboration will be very challenging. And some people will be uh, disintermediated. Interesting. And this, of course, is impacted by the safety of going back to a physical shared space in the office and the, the aftermath of vaccinations and herd immunity and all that, which we really didn't get into. You want to make one comment on that, Stefan? Uh, simply that I think we're going to rush back to normal in, in most ways faster than any of us imagine is possible. We, we, we've forgotten just how quickly we adapted to a global pandemic, like one week later, we're having Zoom cocktails. It's going to work <laughs> just as fast going back, but we're going to keep what we prefer. And we obviously do prefer a hybrid work environment. Thank you very much, Nikki. I saved 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. What do you predict? Okay. Um, I think I look, I predict a little bit something different than uh, Stefan does. I think that we will see in the next two to five years a whole different set of business cards and titles on them. I think there will be a big shift on what certain job descriptions entail. After we come out of the other side of this pandemic, I think it will not go exactly the way it was, it will change and you have 
different um, tasks to do in your job description. And I think it will change because we need to move out of this silo also as corporations and, and therefore uh, the whole the whole process, what is your responsibility and what is your job description will completely change and be accelerated by the global pandemic we're going through. Very interesting. Thank you all. And again, a shout out to Kristen Boylo, who sponsors this series. Nikki, you said you're also a sponsor? Well, SAP is. <laughs> okay. Yes, of course. Well, I, I have 48 different radio series with SAP, so we have a lot of sponsors. But thank you very much for that. Glad to have you here. Vanessa, always delightful to have you. I learned so much. Stefan, newcomer to Game Changers Radio. Thank you for your insights. Really appreciate that. Nikki, your comments were wonderful, of course. And I have to do a shout out to Aaron. Everybody say thank you, Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, Voice America. Thank you, Aaron. Thank, thank you, Aaron. Aaron. There you, you go. So I'm going to do my closing now. we get less than a minute to go and here we go so fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for my car is getting two and a half months to the gallon how's yours doing go out and be a game changer today just like vanessa baker at tribal impact say hello to sarah goodall for me please she's been a guest on many shows over the years love to have her back somehow stefan torenquist at e-consultancy pleasure to meet you thank you for your insights and your work we appreciate what you do nikki elsner Wonderful insights, wonderful commentary. Very honored to have you here on the show. And that's about it for today. So go out and be a game changer, just like Vanessa, just like Stefan, just like Nikki Bonnie D. Graham signing off. We got to go. Be safe, be smart, be savvy. And if it's important and it makes sense, wear your damn mask. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.